This is Performance Deliver, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to Performance Delivered Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success, uh, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they built successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Dave Antel. Today, I'm happy to have as our guest, Jeff Rosenboom. Jeff is the founding partner of Questus, a digital marketing agency that's worked with some of the world's most influential brands, such as Capital One, General Mills, the NFL, Suzuki Motorcycles, and believe me, the list goes on. Jeff is also the author of the book Friction, Passion Brands in the Age of Disruption, which I highly recommend if you, like me, are trying to figure out how to build and grow brands in this time of technology overload, data collection, multiple channels, and endless choices. Jeff, it is great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And just full disclosure, Jeff is a friend and also a client of Symphonic Digital, but he's also super smart and has a, a great company, Questus, and we're really super excited to have uh, have you on and learn more. Um, so to kick it off, Jeff, you know, tell me a little bit how you got started in advertising and what led you and Jordan to start Questus? Yeah. Uh, how about I go on the on the full rant and just interrupt sure. me if I'm, if I'm going too deep, but yeah. How did I start in advertising? I um, that's a great question. I haven't thought about this for a while. I I did <laughs> something that I guarantee none of your listeners have uh, did when they found their first job, which is uh, I was in love with the concept of marketing, and uh, I was a marketing major in college. And the honest truth is, the reason I was a marketing major in college is I wanted to be an English major. And the line was way too long to jump onto that and, and become an English major. There was a really pretty girl uh, playing Frisbee out on the green. I was like, I'm bailing on this. I'll, I'll be a business major and I'm going to go play Frisbee. And the, the epilogue on that is the pretty girl is now my wife and I've built a whole career out of marketing. Um, so I would say that day was a great decision. But what I honestly did is when I graduated college, I bombed out to California. I went to school in Vermont. Bombed out to California. I had no connections. Uh, I predate the internet. So there was no monster hot job, LinkedIn, any tools. And I grabbed a yellow pages and I cooked at night in restaurants. I was a pretty good cook. And in the yellow pages that I opened it to M for marketing. And I built this system where every day starting at the front, I called 20 different companies. 20 new companies. And then the next day I would do all my return calls and add another 20 companies. So I was pretty much destined for, for marketing partially because I loved it and partially because I didn't have a great uh, system or, or network. But um, the interesting thing is I went to a company that did marketing strategy and about 24 hours into the job, they're like, hey, guess what? We don't do marketing strategy. We do market research. And I was like, well, why not? Strategy is cool. Research is not cool at all. And they were like, look, there, there really is a line item in every major company's income statement. They have a budget for market research, but not necessarily for strategy. So we want to do market research. Okay, let's go do some market research, right? I love their clients. They had Oh my God, we had everybody. We had Disney, Intel, Levi Strauss, Microsoft, you name it. And um, we started doing market research, which is really far from my natural disposition. I've got the attention span of a fruit fly on espresso. I mean, I've got a really bad attention span. And uh, next thing I know, I had to sit there and pour over data. And what was going on is 
we were in traditional research. We were doing mall surveys and telephone surveys and, and mail surveys where we would go out there and ask people for their opinion on things. And what I realized is when my boss asked me to install AOL and CompuServe and all these initial internet things is that all of this stuff was going to port over to the internet. And what would take us literally anywhere between six weeks and six months, we could start doing in a matter of six days. And now it's down to like six nanoseconds. But back then, that was massive, right? If you can truncate something from six months to six days. So, you know, I barely graduated college. I was having way too much fun playing Frisbee. Uh, next thing you know, I've got this job and I turned out to be one of the very first people in the country that had figured out the concept of internet market research. There was like two young kids. I was in California. There was one other kid that was doing it in Connecticut. And, you know, next thing you know, I had Microsoft, Netscape, Intel, Levi Strauss, Walt Disney. They were all my clients. And, you know, we, I had cracked the code on something that was really unique. So that was really good for the ego. Then the next yeah. thing that was really cool is the data that we were collecting was all related to how these companies should spend their dollars on marketing and advertising. So what was initially cool was the methodology, but what subsequently became cool was what I learned, which was the vast majority of advertising dollars were completely wasted. And, you know, there's that axiom, you know, 50% yep. of my advertising is wasted. I just don't know which 50%. And I'm looking, I'm like, whoa, 50%. It's literally about 90% of everything that these huge companies were doing was completely busted. So I quickly shifted to, hey, this is cool. I can do internet research to, hey, this is cool because I think I've got proprietary access to what works and what doesn't work. And most of it doesn't work. So make a long right. story short, you know, I thought this stuff was really cool. And my roommate from college, absolute genius guy, amazing artist. He had like art gallery openings. Johnny Depp bought his paintings. You know, we opened People Magazine one day. There's a picture of Johnny Depp. And it's like, dude, look at that man over his fireplace is that giant painting that you made. And, and I don't know why he didn't stick with that path. He, he probably should have and probably hates me for talking him into a different path. But he got way into digital design. Uh, he worked at a company in the Bay Area that had figured out how to do uh, Wi-Fi before there was Wi-Fi, or at least mm. multimedia before there was Wi-Fi, by connecting design to uh, to CDs. So make a long story short, everybody had really lame websites back in the day. He had some of the coolest websites ever, but they weren't very functional. So he'd send me stuff, and I'm like, man, this thing looks really cool, but I can't figure it out. And he'd be like, all right, cool guy, show me what you're doing. and yeah. I would show him what I was doing. He was like, Jesus, dude, this is so boring. I can't believe you do this for a living. And I was like, hey, man, if we could take your really cool, sexy design stuff and connect it to my really boring data stuff, we might have something. And, you know, probably about the day that this podcast gets published, we're going to hit our uh, 20 anniversary. And, yeah. and it, it seems like that initial vision of marrying creativity with data together is exactly where the world needs to be and exactly where agencies want to be right now. Right. So you were early on in the performance data, connecting performance data with creative um, kind of landscape. That was, that was the whole idea. Can we marry these two things together? 
the day we right. started. So we started in Jordan's living room. We had uh, two desks, uh, one chair. Uh, he hates when I bring this up. He had a pack of Marlboros, and I had a stolen laptop. And we're like, fuck it. We're an agency. That's all you need, right? You need yep. one, one chair, one pack of cigarettes, and a laptop. And yep. uh, the whole concept was, can we tie all of that incredible creativity together with data, but not just for performance, but for storytelling? Can we mm -hmm. take people down a journey and down a sales funnel? Can we get them to behave in a way that works really well for brands? but also works really well for them as consumers. We no right. longer need to interrupt people over and over and over and over again with the same exact message. And this was 20 years ago, we realized that we could tell a story that grows and is personalized and empowers the audience instead of just interrupts them. Right, right. So, you know, once once you guys landed on this, you know, uh, data-driven, creative, and storytelling um kind of niche you know what you know what fueled the growth i mean who was your first client who do you sell to at that time because that was that was early on that's when data you know wasn't as pervasive as it is now so how did you convince people to you know to get to give you guys you know two guys with a apartment and a stolen laptop you know the chance to 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 come in and restructure and rethink about how they did their marketing yeah that's a, that's a great question so um, we, my former employer, the market research company had an assignment for us to design and build some stuff for them. So we had about three months worth of work. We realized we had three months to go find a new client or we were going to be broke. Mm -hmm. And what we actually had for our clients is what I affectionately refer to now is what I call shitsandwich.com, <laughs> which is basically, this was before the what the dot com implosion, and you know our clients now are these amazing Fortune 100 brands, but you wouldn't call on them back then in the right. late 90s. You know the Fortune 100s, they didn't know about the internet, they didn't care about the internet. This is when Google and and uh, Yahoo and all those guys were starting, and, and Facebook, sure. excuse me, Google had its 20th year anniversary, but there was thousands and thousands and thousands of other companies that incredible sure. funding, but didn't turn into Google. They just went out of business. So right. those are the clients that we had because those are the guys that were taking risks. Those are the guys that were, that were well-funded. And I actually went away on my honeymoon in 2000 and the internet was going crazy when I went out yeah. on my honeymoon and I called Jordan after a week. I'm like, dude, how's it going? He's like, dude, it's going great, but it's your honeymoon. What the hell are you doing? Stop calling me. All right, fine. Called him a week later or a few days later. I'm like, dude, how's it going? He's like, dude, things are great, man, but it's your honeymoon. Stop calling. So I called him about two or three times. He kept telling me everything was great. And then I came home. I'm like, dude, how are things doing? He's like, they're out of business. And I'm like, who? Yeah. He's like, all of them. What do you mean? Every single client of ours in virtually every company from that incredible dot-com time period all yep. went out of business almost yep. at the exact same time. I remember how wild it was in San Francisco. And then when I came oh, yeah. back from that trip, driving down the street, can't exaggerate this, a piece of newspaper blew across the road and it looked like tumbleweed <laughs> in a tumbleweed, Western town. Yeah. There was literally <laughs> yeah. nothing. So that's when we retrenched and realized, look, we don't want to serve 
shitsandwich.com anymore. We want to work with the biggest and the best companies. So, you know, it was ESPN, NFL, Apple, and nowadays it, you know, Wyndham Hotels, Suzuki Motorcycles, Universal Theme Parks, uh, Capital One, Fannie Mae, all these amazing companies that they might not have been the first ones to do incredible things with the internet in the late 90s, but they're certainly doing incredible things now. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, so you, 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 you kind of went through a pivot early on before, before they became pivots. I mean, and you were forced into it. Man, I, I remember staring at the screen or staring at my ceiling at 3 o'clock in the morning, just being like, holy shit, i got to tell my dad I couldn't mm-hmm. pull this off. i got to tell my father-in-law, sorry, I just married your daughter. And now I'm flat broke and out of business. That was a scary time. Yeah. Like the complete yeah. bottom of the market, just it just fell out. But mm. you know, it's hard not to drop into a cliche at that point. But it's certainly what doesn't kill you is going to make you stronger. We learned, uh, right. we learned a ton, and and probably we learned mostly just about grit at that point. If you put right. your head down and you grind, you'll be all right. right. You know, there is right. there is no secret sauce. There is no math level of intelligence. It was just hard work. Right. Right. How did, how did you sell? I mean, how did you sell? I mean, how did you do, you know, business development in that time when, you know, people were slamming doors and, you know, closing companies, you know, what, what was your, did you have any secret sauce and, you know, in your pitch and in, in how you, how you approach clients? Well, I, th- I think at that time we were uh, as smart and as skilled as any of the big boys out there, mm-hmm. but we could do things much quicker, much more affordably. And our pitch was never that we're, we're cheap and fast. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, we were competing. You know, we we're talking about maybe we had six or eight people at the entire firm at that time competing against firms that have hundreds, if not thousands of people, and they were carrying a lot of bloat and overhead. Right. So there was always a way to capture people's attention. You always got the A team, the senior team, you know, at those price points, another one of our competitors might give you the B team or the C team. Um, but look, you know, one of the things that we learned, if your listeners are trying to figure out, okay, how do I start my own agency, is, is certainly that uh, it's hard to get your first big name client. But once you have a couple case studies, uh, you're, you're, you're in a safe place. So the most important thing is just do what you have to do to get, get your big right. name client. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's super important is getting that big name client. But, you know, you mentioned, a, you, you mentioned, you know, you don't want to go in saying you're cheap and fast. So how do you, how do you not, you're a small, you're, you're a small agency, you're, you're competing against, uh, you know, bigger agencies who have a bigger name and then, you know, kind of competing on price is always, it's always that thing out there. It's like, Oh, maybe we'll just lower our price or we'll do it faster. It's like, how do you have the kind of intestinal fortitude to, to not go down that path? Well, now I don't need to right Mm -hmm. now after doing this for 20 years and working with literally dozens of, of top firms, I, I don't need to, and mostly I know that it's not going to work for me because anytime I've tried to do that, it just screws things up, right? You, 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 cutting corners in any way, whether it's not hiring the right team member, uh, truncating a timeline, night, not pricing effectively, it doesn't make for a successful project. It doesn't make for a successful relationship. It can start to drag on your other very uh, deserving clients. 
So for us, it's about developing what a fair price is. Mm-hmm. And that's not rocket science, right? For the most part, you can just build a matrix that, you know, you come across, you have a, a, a bunch of columns for every aspect of a project and then a bunch of rows for every single person that needs to touch that project. Mm-hmm. And by filling in the hours and the hourly rates, you can come up with a very fair price. So, yes, mm-hmm. there's always these times that says, look, you know, is this too high? Is this too low? We'd really like to get our toe in the door and show them how awesome we are. Uh, you'll always face that. And I don't think there's any way around it. I remember my very first job, the one I mentioned before, you know, the two founding partners, they were Harvard guys. They both went to Harvard uh, Business School. They were super smart. And I remember they always they always went through that for every project when they wanted to bring on a new client. So for the most part, it never goes away completely. But I think once you have yourself established or you have some confidence in what you're doing, you can get yourself pretty darn accurate just by figuring out mm-hmm. what the fair price is. Right, right. Yeah, and and also, you know, you know, don't you can't you can't shortchange yourself. I mean, you know what it takes to run your business, and you know sometimes you know you know you got to say no. You know, and also, you know, you know if you can't make money and the client doesn't doesn't want to pay your price, it's like sometimes walking away gives you a lot of power as well. Particularly to your team, I've discovered. You know, when you say no to something that everyone knows is going to come down and be a, you know, be a disaster. You know, it, it sometimes can be very helpful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, that, that's great advice, and there's only one way to learn that, which is probably yeah. the hard way, right? Which yeah, is, right. you know, you get really excited because this is company XYZ, and, and they're so famous, and they're on the cover of Wall Street Journal, and you really want them on your client list. And look, at a certain point in time in every agency or small business history, you take that client. You do whatever yeah. the hell it takes. Like, if you can get Amazon or, or, any, or Apple or whatever, you do whatever it takes to get them on the board. But once you have a few of them on the board, it's just, it's really just not worth it. And mm-hmm. that's the advantage of doing this for 20 years is A, you have the, the pattern recognition. You can tell pretty early if someone's going to be a good client or not. And B, you realize like at the end of the day, it's all about the relationship and the mm-hmm. fit. That company might be great. That human being working at the client might be great. But if they don't fit exactly with what you do, it just, it damages. It's just not good in the long run. It's yeah. going to create internal stress. It's not going to be profitable. It's going to take your focus off. So, yep. you know, fit is absolutely critical, but it just takes experience to figure out what fits and what doesn't fit. Right. And back to your pricing thing, like, I don't, I, I know that if it's a good fit, price is never going to be the issue. Because if I mm. price myself out and it's a good fit, the client knows it's a good fit and you can have mm-hmm. an open conversation and then right. you say, look, you know, you're off the client, you know, your competition is coming in at half the price. Something's going on. Like say, look, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't give Rolls Royce pricing over, pricing over here. Something is not apples to apples. Let's mm-hmm. work through this together. It's probably that we're not scoping this thing uh, the right. same way, you know, maybe there's a deliverable where we're just not understanding. And if a client doesn't want to have that conversation, it's usually just not a good fit. And that answers right. the, the question for you before they actually become a client. But at right. this point, you know, most of the people we work with are really, really kind individuals. Uh, they're open to conversation and we can work through those issues before we onboard them. Right. Right. Yeah. That's really important is to be able to have that kind of conversation and stop guessing too much guessing going on in the agency pitch business. 
Just ask the question. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, if, if you're an agency person listening to this podcast, uh, you know, culture is, is everything, both internally and on the client side. I mean, right. I remember speaking to a, a, a prospective client a handful of years ago, a large handful of years ago, and the woman on the end of the phone is screaming at me, and we hadn't even started working together. Like, it was our very first call, and I'm asking a couple of general questions. You know, you start pretty broad. You start pretty positive. You know, what are your hopes, dreams, desires? What are you looking for in an agency? These types of questions. She starts screaming at me. I'm like, whoa, this is clearly not a good fit. And they clearly have some cultural problems over there. And guys, I don't care if they call us back. We're not taking that call. Mm. We're not right for each other. And, and the epilogue on that story is, I don't mind admitting it, it was, it was BlackBerry, right? And, mm. you know, that's what happens. When you have bad culture, you run your company into the ground. BlackBerry was right. the, the most amazing company in the world. And now they're basically done because they right. didn't have the right culture. So right. we can usually sense culture right from the initial phone call. And if the people on the other end of the line are not friendly and they don't want to collaborate, we know it's not a good fit for us. Right. It might be different right. from other people. Some, some agencies are like, we don't care about the culture. What we care about is doing the craziest creative in the world. We want to do three-dimensional video, that blah, 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 blah. Great. If that's your priority, then, then find those clients. But you'll be able to sense it early in the process. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing beats a good fit. I mean, everything works better when every, you know, when you, know, you like the client, they like you, they're easy to talk to and they're easy to deal with. Yeah, we know so, that collaboration know, is key uh, for us. If they don't want to oh, collaborate, right. then we're not going to have a great relationship. Other agencies right. are not that collaborative, so that's not their right. priority. Right. So, you know, speaking of collaboration a little bit, so, you know, when you come, you know, when a client, you know, hires you, and you have an idea of what they need to do that might be a little different or you know it's a it's a it's a left turn from their current strategies how do you how do you talk to them about that how do you get them to think differently about their business mm. uh patience persistence education right we always try to educate our clients on why we want to do something. We're very rarely throwing a crazy idea up on the board. It looks great. It smells great. Uh, and that's it, right? We're going to show the underlying research. We're going to show the insights. We're going to show the consumer behavior. We're going to show how that ties back to KPIs, key performance mm-hmm. indicators, bottom line performance in both the short term and the medium term. So education is the foundation of everything. But, mm-hmm. uh, Persistence is also critical. You know, agencies always want to do some funky, fun stuff. But you also have to be uh, empathetic to the situation your clients are in, which is they don't want to take the biggest risks. They've got a career at stake. They've got families at home. They don't want to go and do something uh, uh, crazy that might lose their job, right? Um, You can bring down a whole department. You can bring down a giant company if you take an Mm. unwarranted risk. So, you have to be uh, persistent in the sense that very rarely can you say, hey, here's the big idea. Let us educate you as to why. And then they're like, great, let's do it. You know, mm-hmm. usually it takes a few different tries of saying, okay, let's do some stuff that's fairly safe. Let's get some results. Let's move the needle. That's a critical thing. You always have to move the needle. Get right. some results. Because once you get some results, you can push to be riskier and take bigger results. And then the last part of it is just being patient, right? There's things that... 20 years ago, we started seeing what the future was all about. And now it's two decades later, 
And we're just seeing some of these things come to fruition. So on a client-by-client basis, usually it takes about a year before clients really get it and start making some maneuvers um, that are aggressive and in the direction that we really want to go in. And right. sometimes at the agency, you know, they'll point to certain clients and be like, look at these clients. Not only are they taking risks, but look at the results. They're getting incredible results. And I'm always like, yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. But most clients are not like that. So you mm-hmm. have to be willing to be uh, uh, an educator. You have to be willing to be patient. You have to be willing to be persistent. Right. Right. You know, so I, I, this feels like a, a, a good time to talk a little bit about friction, about, um, you know, about your 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 book about, you know, brand building in this digital age. I hate calling it the digital age, but it's just now, um, you know, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of the main thesis of friction and, and how you and how you think about, you know, applying those tactics and strategies with clients. Yeah, so we call it friction because we believe friction is anything that holds people back in life. It's anything that gets in, gets in the way of your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your aspirations, your goals. It might be the big, big things about fulfilling your lifelong dreams. It might be just little things like getting through your day. But the point is that great brands are built by removing friction. Another way of looking at it is by empowering people, by improving people's lives. Everybody wakes up in the morning wanting one thing. They want to be better than they were the day before. Yeah. And they sure as hell don't want to be interrupted over and over and over again with the same brand message, the same advertisement, whether it's on TV or a pop-up ad or a banner ad or a podcast ad. So the point mm-hmm. is brands need to invest in content and tools that improve people's lives one small step at a time. And when brands do improve people's lives, they get rewarded, not just by having customers and not just by having loyal customers, but by building an army of evangelists. Because when you have an army of evangelists, they carry that brand message forward better than advertising ever could. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so powerful. I mean, you, you, you take advice from people you know and those 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 evangelists more than you listen to or you know take action on an ad so I'm a huge fan of that Sure I mean think about the last thing that you bought that was not a pack of gum a beer a soda right anything that costs 50 bucks 100 bucks 500 bucks $1000 right Think about a pair of skis think about a car think about a vacation right uh, all of these things that cost a few bucks, we go on our own journey, right? We've taken responsibility into our own hands. We read ratings, reviews, we look at photos, we watch videos, we call our friends, we go into retail stores, we comparison shop on features, functionality. There's this whole ethereal uh, emotional connection that we get with brands. We literally spend dozens of hours using dozens of information sources. And brands that do it effectively put the right message in the right time into all of those channels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it sounds almost pedantic. I hate that I even said that. The right message at the right time. But it's so mm-hmm. critical, right? right? As you go through that journey, the last thing you want to do is hear something that you already knew 
And the last thing that you want is to not be able to find information that you're looking for. So initially, you need to emotionally engage someone, and then you need to pull them through the sales funnel where all of that rational information and all of their emotional needs are met as they go on your website, as they watch TV, as they're up mm -hmm. on Instagram, as they're over on Snapchat, as they're back over your website, as they read ratings and reviews on Amazon. Right? We're all going through that journey, so brands need to activate in all of those channels. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've just identified a ton of moving parts. Um, you know, how do you keep your team, you know, in front of all of that and in, you know, and in front of the client demands? I mean, there, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to bring in front of the client. I mean, how do you, how does your, how does your team, you know, work with the clients to make sure that this is all flowing into the right place? Well, uh, I think you touched on a couple of things. So one of them is we've learned by studying some of the great brands out there that you need your own behaviors to be documented and you need to live by them. And one of our behaviors that, that Jordan came up with is learn something new right now. And what that means is each of us at the agency are committed to learning new skills every single day. So we're huge on here's a cool article, here's a cool video, share it out, right? Uh, whether you're on Slack, whether you're on email, we built out an area of our website where people can share some of the latest and greatest research findings, articles, case studies, uh, et cetera. So it really comes from the ground up. And as, as you can imagine, some of the youngest people on the staff are the most educated because it mm -hmm. becomes so natural for them to understand the latest tools. So I use Instagram and I use Facebook. I also play guitar. But if mm -hmm. I play guitar, there's an interpretation that happens for me because I didn't start playing till I was pretty old, right? So, you know, if I want to play an A, I'm like, oh, A, okay, fingers go here, got it, strum. Go to C, <laughs> okay, fingers go here. Drum. If you find someone who started playing guitar at six, they don't do that. Their fingers just go A, C, they hear the music and they play. And the same thing is true with, with modern marketing. Like I can do Instagram, but there's an interpretation layer much the same way as there is when I'm playing guitar. The youngest people, right. they just get it because they grew up on it. So right. it's really important for us to educate ourselves uh, through all the different communication techniques that we have by having a state of behavior, by having it part of our DNA. But the other thing is, how do you take it out and educate your clients? And that's one of the hardest things to do because they're very busy, we're very busy, you gotta hit your day-to-day -day need, but they also do wanna be educated just like we do internally. What are the latest trends? What's the latest research? What's the latest insights? What's the latest data technology, consumer behavior? So it's really education is the, is the key to everything, but uh, it's about committing yourself to it because it's easy to say you got to be educated, but what you really need are the processes and tools to do that, to share the information. Right, right, right. And, and you know, you, you, made, you, made a, you made a comment about, you know, the, the people, you know, the young folks. How do, you, how do you find people that, you know, to work at Questus? You know, what... You know, where where do you find good people? Uh, in a nutshell, most of our great people come from referrals. 
Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, we found amazing, 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 amazing people through recruiters, right? Mm -hmm. But if you look at the general trend of where we find our best people, it's through referrals. So we work very hard uh, on our internal culture to keep people inspired, keep them engaged, keep them challenged, keep them having fun, keep them building great relationships, and then try to get them to spread uh, spread the word and invite right. their friends over. And, right. uh, you know, there's an amazing book on this topic. It's so goddamn amazing. I'm hesitant to actually even say it out loud right now because uh, it, it really is a, turned out to be a competitive advantage for us. Uh, it's called Who, and it's written by Jeff Smart. And we actually interviewed him. <clears throat> excuse me. We interviewed him for our book, Friction. And mm -hmm. Friction is like a lot of books out there where it really leverages storytelling. It tries a little bit to be like Malcolm Gladwell. I'm certainly not nearly as good a writer as Malcolm Gladwell, but we tried to steal his style. Mm -hmm. Who is different? Who is less about telling stories? And it's more about a handbook on how you find and keep great people. And uh, it's been one of the most powerful things I've ever read is, is Who by Jeff Smart. Okay, we'll have to put that on the we'll have to put that on the list. Um, so I I, I want to be respectful of your time. I I, I know we uh, we don't have you booked all afternoon, but you know it, you know to to the point you just made. You know you know how how do you stay on top of things? You know what are some of your top sources for marketing information? You know do you go to blogs, websites, conferences? I mean you know what what do you do to sharpen the saw? You know. I'm 47 now, and uh, I've had to learn the hard way how to do it. And I read a really interesting article the other day, and it said that the top executives in this world, folks like Warren Buffett, the one thing that they do better than other executives is they think. So if you were to look at a photograph of, say, a Warren Buffett or a video of Warren Buffett while he's working, might look like he's doing nothing. But this is one of the most successful executives in world history. And it brought up other people, maybe Bill Gates, I can't recall. But he thinks. He spends a lot of time thinking. So what I try to do is, I think there's three things that I try to do. One of them is read as much as I can, right? I still have a very short attention span. I still am very busy taking care of clients. It's hard to find a, a, a ton of time, but I try to read as much as I possibly can. Uh, the second thing is I try to give myself time to think, give myself uh, some space. I can't do that between nine and five. I can't do that yeah. between nine and eight. But I can certainly do it on the weekends. I can certainly do it in the, uh, late at night. I can do it first thing in the morning. Like cut down on the amount of stimulus I have and think through things. And if I got a really big meeting, and Jordan will, will do this also, and he'll tell me to do it. Like, dude, get out of here, right? Go mm -hmm. for a run. I hate running. I, I suck at it. I'm slow. I'm awkward. But if I really need to figure something out, I'll go for a long run because you got to mm -hmm. cut back on the stimulus and think through things. And then the third thing that I do is I spend a lot of time talking about these things. You know, with, with Jordan in particular, we probably spend on average 40 minutes a day, which means sometimes it's well over an hour where we'll just debate things not for the sake of saying who's right, who's wrong, but like, how are we going to figure out is Snapchat real or not real? Is Facebook going into the tank or not? 
-hmm. Are six-second videos the way to go or 90-second videos or 20-minute videos? How do you use data? Is it for targeting or is it for personalization? It could be any topic. And sometimes, I'd say very often, they're not really topics that are relevant to our business and our day-to-day and maybe even our client's business, but we just love to talk about business and what these mm. things mean. And it keeps, it keeps the two of us sharp. It helps us figure out where we want to go as an agency, as an industry, with our clients. But reading, thinking, talking, discussing, debating, those are all critical things. But particularly as an agency where you've got utilization things that people need to, to deal with, right? A lot of people in the agency world, they, they're heads down between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. So if you want to get ahead in the agency world, well, you got to work extra hard because it's a service business. You got to build between nine and six, nine and five, absolute minimum, nine and six if you want to outperform. Plus, you need an hour or two of thinking on top. So if you're a young kid thinking about whether you want to get into this business, that's what you're getting into. When I was right. in my 20s all the way through my 40s, shit, I worked the 12-hour day every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, I, that's such great advice. It's like read, consume as much as you can, think about it, then talk about it and sharpen it. I think that's Absolutely. That's smart. Smart advice. Hey, so, you know, it, it, if someone wants to reach out to you, Jeff, how do they get in touch with you? You know, uh, our website is as good an entry point as anything, questus.com, Q-U-E-S-T-U-S.com. Um, I'm up on Twitter, J, at J-R Questus. I'm up on Facebook and Instagram, at, uh, at the Jeff Rosenblum. You can hear my pause, right? That's me. <laughs> I thought it was going to be an Instagram influencer. I, wrote, I made a documentary about the future of advertising five years ago, and uh, it did really well. We went around the world. I wrote the book. That did really well. It became number one. I was like, fuck yeah, Instagram. I'm going to be an influencer. I lasted about 48 hours of that stuff before I right. got uh, – realize it's just not for me. It's not right. intrinsically rewarding. I don't love it that much. I, you know, I'll poke around and check it out a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm not willing to invest the hours and hours every day. And I think the lesson there is everyone's got to do what's natural to them. But uh, mm-hmm. if you hit me up on those channels, uh, I will respond, but unfortunately uh, probably not quite as quickly as one would like. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, you know, thanks a lot, Jeff. I really appreciate your time today and thanks everyone for listening. If you like uh, the Performance Delivered Podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at at symphonichq. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.